Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the HAN Show, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything we do are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged series, co-hosted by Scott Swenson and myself. And check back tomorrow for our weekly haunt news roundup. Okay, here's this week's installment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. Well, from our studios in Los Angeles and Abu Dhabi, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Creative Development. And we start off this week, Scott, talking about uh, Universal. They released their Q4 earnings, and I'm, as I'm sure everyone expected, they are pretty good. <laughs> they said that uh, on the Thursday's earnings call that they the company intends to raise its spending budget for theme park expansion by 1.2 billion with a B, which will fund the construction of Epic universe plus the year round horror experience in Las Vegas and the small theme park in Dallas. We talked about those a few weeks ago. If you want more information, go back a few episodes. We talked about those. Um, They kind of also reported basically the exact quote is we achieved the highest levels of revenue adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS in our history and returned a record 17.7 billion of capital to shareholders. So on the, on the one hand, of course they're, it looks like they've, the, the theme park division is performing extraordinarily well, so well that of course they've added that extra budget and that they've had the highest EBITDA they've had on record. Uh, However, <laughs> uh, some new information has come out about the small park in Texas. It looks like it's not finalized yet. It still needs to be approved by city council, which isn't happening until this next week. And there's been a lot of kind of public meetings where a lot of, I don't want to say like protesters, but a lot of citizens have been concerned about the theme park. And their top concerns are A, traffic, and B, crime kind of heading back to the stories we talked about this last Halloween, right? The amount, just the amount of, of incidents happening at theme parks. And a lot of the, the people there, the local community members are citing those incidents as reasons they don't want this park there. And of course, Universal's argument, which is, uh, Universal isn't the one arguing, but it, it sounds like the city council is kind of paraphrasing Universal's argument, just saying that it's going to be a unique theme park, like they mentioned in the press release, that uh, will be, since it'll be geared towards kids, it'll have uh, less, basically less worries about crime, and that because of the additional infrastructure they're building, it shouldn't increase the uh, the traffic at all. So I don't know, just this this kind of interesting landscape. But my question to you, Scott, is, Kind of does any of it matter? I mean, didn't we already know that they were going to perform well? They were going to have to have more budget to build two new theme parks. And didn't we already figure that people don't want a theme park coming into their small town? I don't know. Well, I I think, no, I I, I hear exactly what you're saying, Philip. I mean, let's kind of break these. Let's break these down just a little bit. Um, Of course, they're having a good year because people have, as we've been reporting for months and months and months, if not years, once COVID lifts or or lightens, however you want to phrase it. Uh, people are going to want to get back out. They're going to want to enjoy theme park experiences. And Universal has not really backed down. They've continued to keep things moving. Yes, Epic mm-hmm. took a little bit of a, a hiatus there for a while, but is now back on 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 track from what they've been sharing. Um, <clears throat> and now they're announcing 
you know, two new expansions uh, in both Vegas and Texas. So, you know, yeah, it only makes sense that, that they're in the news. People are wanting to go there. They're tired of sitting at home. They're, they're ready to travel again. They're ready to get out. They're ready to, to participate. So, yes, I'm I, th- no surprise. No surprise at all. In fact, I think we've been sort of prognosticating this in our, in our, in our own little brains and, and our own little show for quite some time. Um, as far as the, uh, the, the folks in Texas who are fussy uh, about a new part coming in, as you say, well, duh, of course there's going to be people who complain. Um, and I think it's unfortunate that <clears throat> when you see when you see stories like this and you, you think about these people who are quote-unquote protesting or, or fighting, coming against city council so that it doesn't get approved, it's clear that they're only looking at one small factor of what the theme park is going to bring to their area. Yes, it is going, it may, it may run the risk of making traffic more challenging. The crime, um, because it's a family theme park, that I don't know. That I really don't know. But it's also going to increase the number of jobs available. It's also going to increase the amount of tourism that comes to the town. It's also, I mean, it's just money, money, money. And it's, when I, when I see stories like this, it almost reminds me of the, the cranky old people like myself who yell at the kids for being on their lawn. You know, the people who've lived there forever, who like their quiet little town, who don't want it to be upended by the unknown. And the thing is, that's exactly what it is, unknown. And I, and I think it's important to recognize that, you know, yes, there may be some, addi- some additional traffic, but there'll also be some additional money, which will help fund those things in that town, in the area that <clears throat> those local residents who have been there forever would like to see. So... All I can say is if you are, you know, for those people who are fighting this and and being cranky about it, complaining about it, whatever, um, I'm hoping that you take half a step back and look at not just those things that you view as negative, but also the positives that are going to come along with it. Um, You know, I, I... Whenever there is change, there is going to be there's going to be people who fight it. There's always going to be people who fight change. It's going to happen no matter where you go, no matter what you do. And and all I can hope is that they look at a more holistic view of what's happening as opposed to focusing in on there's going to be, you know, instead of instead of uh, 10 cars, there'll be 40 cars, you know. Um, and Look at, the, look at the whole picture. Look at the big picture. That's all I, I'm hoping that these people will do. Um, so ultimately, no, it doesn't matter because none of this is unexpected. None of this is is mm-hmm. uh, anything that we we couldn't have guessed. Um, and you know, I'm the only thing I'm hoping is that uh, the the naysayers in Texas don't draw the focus away from the excitement that's happening with both Epic and Vegas and potentially the Texas location. So, uh, yeah. just keep, I hope universal continues to push forward. Um, it sounds like, you know, this, this sounds <clears throat> very similar to, uh, what happened when, uh, when Harry Potter first opened in Florida, um, mm-hmm. they had the influx of money and it was actually more than they anticipated. So they, they had to spend it. They had to find ways to, to spend it and invest it. Um, and I, and I think this is, this is another one of those, holy cow, we've got all this, all this cash. And I don't know where it came from exactly, whether it was from, uh, 
intelligent ways of handling COVID or whether it was the new, the new flood of guests coming to their parks or whatever. Um, but, you know, kudos to them for reinvesting it back in the company and for making it so that the company isn't just in two locations. It's essentially like R&D. And I think that that kind of underscores what all the attractions should be thinking about right now. You know, there, there's so much uncertainty floating around right now about recession, about the economy, about all these crazy factors. And, you know, we're a lot of people are unsure how what the impact is going to be when it comes to the summer and fall and winter seasons of tourism spending. But Universal is kind of just barreling forward and saying now is the time to do R&D and to invest in these two new projects. And we're going to springboard off of our our good our good year to to justify the spend, which I think is smart, right? Because again, you know, the shareholders are not going to be happy if you were on a downturn and then you were announcing R&D. Nobody ever does. Even though that's the right thing to do, nobody ever likes to hear that. Okay, well, let's uh, shift a little bit and talk about some trends happening in China. Of course, we talked about China a few weeks ago when they were reopening for COVID, but there's another big trend going on in China. Uh, 2022 marked the first population decline in China in six decades. And the so for the first time in six decades, deaths outnumbered births in China as its overall population plummeted by 850,000 people. So... This is a, kind of a big trend, I think, that will eventually impact some of the tourism. And I think before before this decline, China and India were kind of neck and neck for population and population growth. And of course, now we're seeing India overtake China. And it's interesting to me because what, what I've noticed is kind of a shift a little bit to looking at India as a as more of the, 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 like the tourism market a little bit more in that area. And I'm curious to get Scott, have you seen any of that? Because of course you're, you know, you're in the area. It looks like, I feel like if anything, it would be like where you are, you'd see more of that shift between China and India as as the the tourism because of where you're located. Well, strictly anecdotally, I mean, obviously I don't have uh, any sort of official stats or data in front of me, but anecdotally um, I see significantly more uh, tourists from India than I have from China. Now, obviously that is because China um, just recently opened and, and you know, they're starting to allow more and more travel. So I'm, I'm guessing over the next couple of months, I may see an increase in that as well. But <clears throat> strictly anecdotally and strictly in Abu Dhabi, uh, there is a vast majority of people who are, who appear to be from India than people who appear to be from China um, here. Um, I'm wondering, it's interesting because I'm wondering if, you know, this uh, this growth rate is, I mean, is it COVID related? Is that what they're thinking is because there have been more deaths due to COVID that it it is because, it, you know, it's deaths versus births. It's not just the birth rate has slowed. It's that there are deaths versus births so that the, yeah. the population is going down. Is, is, has, was that in any of this, any of this research or is that just, uh, am I just making that up? So... I think that we're going to see that actually get worse because this was just from 2022, from the end of 2022, which means from before the reopening, like before Chinese New Year, before the reopening, before all this. So this this is a this is a, a trailing indicator, basically. So it was showing the trailing indicator, showing that the combination of deaths and decreased birth rate was leading to an overall decline, the biggest one in 60, 60 years, which seems to me like it's going to get worse you know, because of 
you know, again, what we just said with the COVID opening and whatnot, I'm just wondering how much that's going to impact, uh, you know, the tourism, if, if at all, it's just one of those things where it's not really, it is a big deal kind of down the road because, you know, workforce and, and workforce for attractions, because, you know, the less young people, the hard it's going to be a staff and all that, but is it, is it going to be a big deal or is it that the market's so big and it's so untapped kind of like India, right? Where it's, it's been untapped for so long that it's not really going to make a difference. Right. I would be curious. I would also be curious to see where um, the majority of these declines and increase are happening within the Chinese population. Um, mm -hmm. Are they in the group? Are they in the group of people who have the the finances and the ability to to travel, or are they in the the lower income areas? Uh, you know, the more rural areas of China. So I, again, I don't really know, and <clears throat> I uh, I'm certainly not an expert in that in that regard um but i do think it's certainly something to keep an eye on i i would think that it would be just as much uh, especially you know considering that so many so many parks and and investors etc 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 have have been looking at china over the last few years as a great opportunity mm -hmm. for expansion you know is this mm -hmm. going to thwart any of their plans um or get in the way of any of their um new parks, new expansions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's definitely something that we need to watch, but I think it's too, in my opinion, I think it's too early to tell. Um, and from anecdotally from here in the UAE, we have not seen an influx of, of Chinese tourists yet, but I think we're going to in the near future. Yeah. Interesting. I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think this is a, I think it's a big story, but it's not one that's going to impact us very, you know, it, too immediately. But I, I also think though, we're talking about large trends. It, it's a, it's a nice data point that gives us an idea of, Hey, looking at really looking at India as, as much as, you know, being an emerging, you know, India is way more of an emerging market, you know, as, as we've talked about, there's, there's not as much of the middle-class as afford tourism as much yet. But in that when we're looking at these numbers and looking at the sheer population there and looking at the middle class getting larger, um, that it could be a, an area that we're going to see attractions focus on, I would say, coming up pretty soon, you know, just as much as we were looking at China. And, you know, if we think back, I mean, really, it hasn't been that long since the, the parks have been built in China and the investment that went in there. So and. I'm thinking we might see a little bit more of that shift over into the uh, India market and the other high population areas. So. Well, and I think we're also, um, you know, again, based on where I'm, where I'm living at the moment, uh, I, I think we're also going to see that not only is the, the UAE going to hit, but I think Saudi is, is another very, um, uh, an area that will be exploding very soon in the, yeah. uh, in the, the tourist industry. I think they're going to try very hard. Um, you know, it's it, obviously Dubai led the way. Um, Dubai led the way. Abu Dhabi is, is playing catch up and is catching up very, very quickly from what I've seen. And, um, and considering that Abu Dhabi and Dubai are, you know, an hour's drive from one to the other, it's kind of building a, 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 a touch point. But now Saudi is, is trying, is working very hard as well to, uh, mm -hmm to build and expand quickly to try to capture some of the market and whether that's going to come from China or India or other high population areas, time will tell. I will say that 
<clears throat> again, anecdotally, the largest number currently in Abu Dhabi appear to be Europeans and Scandinavians. Um, mm -hmm. They're discovering that this is a place to go to be warm and that you don't have to go to the States because it's, it's much closer. So yeah. again, yeah. We'll, we'll keep an eye on all these trends and I, I'm not saying that they're not important. What I am saying is that I don't think we have enough data or I don't think the trends have, have played out long enough to really make any, uh, any long-term guesses as to how they're going to affect the industry. Yeah. Well, one other trend from that area that we're going to be seeing uh, come out pretty soon is that uh, as we, again, going back to China, the, the reopening of China, we're already seeing their, since they're reopening, the energy, energy usage and the gas usage is going up, which of course is to remind everybody that there's still all this, you know, gas is a global market. That's been a, a big kind of talking point here in the U.S. And since it's a global market, because the energy usage is increasing and kind of showing really no signs of slowing down anytime soon in China, that's going to make gas prices in the U.S. more expensive, which is going to make travel more expensive, which is going to trickle down to our smaller attractions where we're going to be back to where we were a few months ago, you know, when, when, when it was high gas prices impacting whether or not people would travel too far. So just another thing to Right. Nothing we can do anything about, but just keep keep aware of and, and look back at the plans that we made last time with encouraging locals that are closer to come by. Well, and another another element that I think might impact the the theme park industry, and I think probably Philip, you could speak to this more intelligently than I, is because the theme park industry utilizes so many goods that are created in China, um, is this decrease in population going to impact that in any way, shape, or form? Is it going to, you know, uh, right now, <clears throat> in certain parts of the world, and I believe China is one of them, uh, labor is is incredibly affordable. Um, if, the, if the labor force is reduced because the population itself is being reduced, um, is that going to impact that end of the, uh, of the attractions industry? Yeah. I, again, yeah, you're right. Uh, too early to tell, I would say on that one, but I actually think on that one, it's going to end up being more of an impact on staffing attractions. And we've been talking about this for, for, for so long, just, just the concept of, you know, um, what, kind of like redefining what the frontline service positions are going to look like in the future. And I think that is going to be the bigger disruption in that area because from, from our, from our manufacturing standpoint, you know, our uh, labor costs as a manufacturer have already increased. And, to, but just to be honest, there's a lot more, <laughs> I don't know how to put this nicely, but uh, basically it's a lot easier for us to pad uh, an increase in labor into a manufactured good. Um, and then also you have look at like the, especially our lights when they're installed somewhere, you're looking at them, you know, over like a 10 year period. Um, and so when you're looking at an increased labor cost, there's padding that, that can be absorbed in that. But then even when you sell it, um, you know, so people are looking at that over 10 years. And so the impact of the labor is much, is much smaller and compared comparison to like a restaurant or a hotel or a theme park that needs like Hong Kong Disneyland, they need 600 new frontline employees 
you know, this week and they're going to, you know, and how much you might need to pay them. It's, it's much more, uh, there's much less padding because of that direct cost coming out than there is in manufacturing. So I feel like it'll be a little bit less of an issue, uh, really. And, Plus, you know, you're looking at uh, a lot of people are moving away from there into areas <laughs> that are cheaper. <laughs> so I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to, it, it's, I think that part at least will be a little bit less impactful. So, yep, completely valid, completely valid. And for those of you, we keep mentioning staffing and we have for quite some time. For those of you who are listening, no matter where you are, um, if there's anybody listening who is not having a staffing problem at all, feel grateful because um, every project I've worked on in the U.S. has had staffing challenges. Every product that I have seen here in the UAE, whether ones that I'm working on or whether ones that I visited, are having staffing issues. Um, staffing is a challenge. And um, <clears throat> especially specific skill staffing, frontline staffing, um, less or so, but, but uh, entertainers or um, technicians or um, people with with specific skills has become more and more challenging. And um, so, again, this is just another one of those factors that we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, moving yeah. forward. And if any of our listeners actually have had are not having staffing issues at all, uh, in addition to feeling good about that, you know, let us know. Actually, I think it would be really interesting to hear from the listeners if they're not having it all or to see what kind of program if you're testing a new one out or if you're testing, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, also, anecdotally, I've heard from several attractions that have uh, been hiring, but from sectors that they've not been hiring before. So they need to, for example, increase their their training because these are people that have never, you know, worked in that type of uh, environment before. So um, would be interesting to hear. Um, well, I think uh, let's talk about a pivot or at least uh, someone who's expanding into a different type of offering. And I, I love I love this story so much. It's coming from Impark Magazine and it's a Poi de Fou creates La Grande Tour, a multi-day rail journey experience. I'm going to just read the, the top line here from the article. Designed as a theater in motion, the train is a work of art in its own right. Guests have the opportunity to relax in a lounge-style cabin by day until its transformation into a comfortable bedroom at night, linger over a drink in a convivial car, bar car, and dine in the light of the train's dining car. So so this is a Poi de Fou, and, and they are working with a rail company to kind of theme out a train and make a kind of train experience. And I love this idea. I, I, I think it, it it speaks to what we were talking about with Universal in terms of testing, you know, using this time right now to test out different experiences and different models. And I think that this is, you know, a point of view, of course, you know, not known for this type of thing at all, but pivoting into this, I think it's, it's, I, I'm excited about this. I think that this, this is a, a, a really, uh, just a, an interesting take on taking uh, an experience that has been around for a while, you know, like this, this, this train experience, but really turning it into a theme journey. But uh, Scott, what do you think? No, I think, I think this is super exciting. I mean, this sounds sort of like, I don't know, going up to a galactic starship. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm in a spaceship only this is real, which is pretty cool. I think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the idea of the, the fully immersive, dusk to dawn kind of experience uh, is something that more and more people and more and more companies are playing with. And this sounds like Puy de Fou is, is clearly dipping their toe into this, into this market and into this experience. 
And, you know, Puy de Fou is, for those of you who are not familiar with it, the thing about Puy de Fou that is, is really breathtaking is that they have never backed away from creating spectacle. They've never backed away from trying things that are unique within the world of, of themed attractions. And um, they have quite often created created reality out of reality as opposed to reality out of out of fantasy and and I think that is is very exciting and this sounds like just it makes total sense based on their brand and it makes total sense to be the next step to create um, an intimate and fully immersive experience yep in some more some details here it is a six day five night grand tour rail journey and it travels about 2500 miles and yeah it's 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 um 30 travelers per week so it's actually um it's an interesting it it is very so i hadn't thought about the the galactic star cruiser kind of analogy but it's very similar right it's it's a much it's much more high-end themed kind of guided experience and again it's a long experience six days five nights the throughput is relatively low there's 15 cabins 15 crew members two two gourmet dining cars and one bar car so yeah it sounds like uh, it sounds like we don't have too many details but it does sound like that they're trying to make it more of kind of like a adventure and a guided story experience working in the history of the areas that they're passing through and then it kind of um you know being a low throughput experience but yeah interesting yeah and tying into history is again right into right right into um, Puy de Fou's pocket. That's right where they live, um, mm-hmm. where they have mm-hmm. always lived, how they formed is is to basically make history and and learning exciting and new and fresh and immersive. And yeah, it, it, it makes total sense for them. And I think the parallels to Galactic Star Cruiser are are huge. And uh, and I'm curious to see how it pans out. I'm curious to see, you know, how far how far out people have to book in order to do it. Oh my gosh. Um, well, our, we have uh, just a few minutes left and our last story here is, uh, I, I think, similar to everything we've been talking about. Um, but this is from the Japan Times and it's about a cafe in Japan that uh, gives joy to older people with dementia and their families. Uh, a coffee shop in Aichi Prefecture has begun catering to older people with specifically with dementia, creating a welcoming community for customers, their caretakers, and the children given a chance to wait on them. At Anki Cafe in Toyohashi, named after the regional dialect word Anki meaning relief, no one is bothered even if a customer bursts into song or wanders aimlessly around the shop. Behaviors related to the illness often considered too disruptive to be acceptable in regular society. I think this is fascinating and it speaks to everything we've been talking about. Essentially the cafe is, it's, it's, it's a, it's very similar. It reminded me to the autism certification that we talked about for a, a while back for some of the, the theme parks, but it also relates to the staffing we've been talking about because essentially you're having to take these frontline service workers and give them additional training to make them into experts at dealing with a behavior that would normally be disruptive. So you can kind of turn that on its head and make your make yourself a destination for that target group, but it's only comes through extensive extra training. Uh, so it's 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 very a very interesting story uh, from a service perspective. I thought. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I too went to my my brain went to the the whole. <clears throat> autism certification and of course Peppa Pig and mm-hmm. uh, in, in in Florida and the, and the whole idea of 
what I will call targeting micro audiences. So it's yes. like smaller audiences with very specific needs um, so that they too can, can participate and enjoy and their families can participate in and enjoy a, uh, an attractions experience. Um, now, granted, this is a, this is a cafe, so it's a very small controlled environment, but, but I think that, you know, this may lead us to search out those ways to serve the underserved smaller communities and find ways to make it so that we can entertain them and their families. Because even, you know, families with, uh, members who, who suffer from dementia or who have, uh, who, who fall in the, um, autism spectrum, you know, it's not just the individual with dementia or the, the person who falls on the spectrum, it is their families and finding ways to enjoy, enjoy opportunities with them and that are inclusive of them. I think maybe an interesting trend that, that hopefully we'll see more of, because I, I think it's not only profitable, but I think it's the right thing to do. So, um, yeah, something you might want to consider. Well, one thing we have to consider is the fact that we are out of time for another week. So thank you all so much for listening to Green Tag Theme Park in 30. Please share your comments. Please share this show with anybody that you think might benefit from it. Uh, on behalf of Philip Hernandez from Gantam Lighting and myself, Scott Swenson from Scott Swenson Creative Development, uh, we will see you next week on Green Tag Theme Park in 30. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.